Welcome to the City Women Podcast. I'm Sharissa Great, and I'm joined by Ashley Kelly and Mary Turner. This season, we are reading through the book of Genesis and looking at how God has revealed himself as faithful. We pray today's episode encourages you and reminds you of how the Lord is faithful to you as well. Today, we will be discussing chapters 16 through 20. Let's jump right in. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. Here we are again. Yes. How is everybody doing today? I am really ready for this discussion. I love this part of scripture. I love Abraham. I am ready to get going. There's a lot to pack into these five chapters this week, so probably should just go ahead and warn everyone we won't be able to get into every detail. There's a lot that we could really sink into here, but we can't. We have time restrictions, um, so we will do our best. And also, if there's something we don't cover that you want us to talk about or you have questions, go ahead and submit those questions, and we'd be happy to do mm-hmm. that in a Q&A episode later. Yes. I'm excited about the Q&A episode. I think it'll be really interesting to hear your questions. I think so, too. We also wanted to give a content warning this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things we're dealing with today may not be appropriate for little ears, so use your judgment. Uh, you can read ahead so you know what we're going to cover Use your judgment on who is listening to this episode. Yes, I think that's a very appropriate warning. So last week, we left off with Sarai. Um, We said she didn't have the same assurance as Abram. Mm -hmm. He had this moment with God, this incredible covenant moment that we got really excited about. We're going to have another one of those this week. Mm -hmm. But Sarai didn't have that same moment with God, that same assurance. And so we open up chapter 16 with her faith is is exhausted at this point and she's waited for the child for as long as she can and she takes matters into her own hands mm-hmm. yeah we saw god you know he um, made that covenant again and he even specified the promise a little bit more with abraham or abram at this point and told him um the descendants are actually going to come from your flat they're going to be yours they're, it's going to be your son Um, And, you know, like you said, Sarah, I didn't necessarily hear that promise. And so we walk into chapter 16 and we meet Hagar and and we we are confronted with this plan that Sarai and um, I think maybe Sarai gets a bad rap here. I think Abram was in on it as well. You know what I mean? This is everyone's sin. Yes, it's not. This isn't an Adam and Eve situation. Well, I mean, Adam was there. It is. Adam was there, too. And so let's not just like put all the blame on Eve or on Sarai Um, because actually it was very cultural like for Sarai to be barren and she's even past the childbearing age of their time as well and so for her to be barren was a shame was um, you know very looked down upon we don't we don't get Abram's view of Sarai and any of these stories we don't know if he's upset with her that why can't you give me a kid we don't we don't know any of that we just know that culturally she should have had children, you know, and, and because she didn't, she was unfortunately less valuable. And and so there were ways that they would um, that they could make children happen. And so Sarah is like, hey, I have this servant, Hagar. Why don't you, you know, why don't you spend some time with her and and she can give me a child? And um, Abram's like, oh, okay. You know, and I think it's because it's very normal. Sounds crazy to us. Yeah. 
was a little bit more normal. Back it was then. even in, if you remember from your history books, the Code of Hammurabi. Mm-hmm. It was codified in that law. Yes. It was a thing, a practice at that time that was not unusual. And here is Hagar, this servant in their household from another country. Her name means immigrant. Mm-hmm. She is not uh, looked upon as, as anything other than property, unfortunately, right. at this yeah. time. And so she was being used for her ability to potentially bear children. Mm-hmm. And it would have been... Abram's child and even Sarai in our text says, you know, like, will give me a child. And so we are left with the assumption that Sarai then would welcome this child as her own. But what we see happen is once Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarai looks on her with contempt and just like can't can't take it and then begins like blaming Abram. You know, just all these. It's just it's a it's a picture of what we do it's it's adam and eve all over again it's just this was your plan and now you're mad at me and abram's just like i don't know just do whatever you want like she's your servant do what you want with her um and i think if we are reading through these chapters just really quickly we kind of read through hagar's portion We're like okay well that's really sad you know it's unfortunate but okay now we're going to get back to abram and sarah because they're the real characters of the story we want to make sure we're staying with the the um the main plot Um, They're kind of a side plot. But it's interesting that in this side plot, what is revealed is really important because we see some major things revealed of God that have yet to be revealed in the text that we have read. And so um, Hagar, she runs away, goes to the wilderness, sits by a spring and, you know, feeling all the things that she's feeling like very sad and abused yeah everything's taken out of my control i look at what has happened to me i'm pregnant what am i gonna do this isn't my homeland i have nobody um and then we see the angel of the lord come and this is the first appearance of the angel of the lord in our text and there there are varying um interpretations of who this is is this just a messenger of the Lord? Is this something that we would call a Christophany, like Jesus um, here before he becomes Jesus in the New Testament, before he comes as the incarnated one? Or is this God? Is this a theophany? Yeah, so all that matters is that even if it was an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord would have been a messenger of the Lord. And so they would he would have come with the same authority of God. And so this is God speaking, whoever it is, to Hagar. So we have God here. This is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord. God represented as a man, as somebody that Hagar is interacting with. This is the first time this happens in the Bible. This is important. And so what this reveals of God is that he comes close. We're seeing God actually physically come close to Hagar in her despair, in this horrible moment that she is experiencing. And he has this conversation with her, calls her by name. I love this story. Um, and um, and then he he tells her, you need to go back. I know it's terrible. I know it's out of your control, but you need to go back. And he confirms to her, yes, you are pregnant. And, um, and then we have another first here. We see God name somebody for the first time before they are born. So this is the first time this happens. We see this happen um, in a couple chapters with Isaac, and we see this happen with Jesus, Mary and Jesus. But this is the first time that God has named somebody before they're born, and he names uh, the baby Ishmael. And Ishmael means God hears. 
And so for Hagar in this position, she is totally broken, totally, you know, just in the despair of what she is experiencing. God comes close to her. God names her baby and says, God hears. And so if you just imagine, she's like, okay, I'm going to have, this is going to be my life. So every, when this baby is born, every time the baby cries, every time Hagar has to take care of him, every time, you know, she's feeling down or whatever, and she remembers her child, says her child's name, Ishmael, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She's saying, God hears, God hears, you know, like it's just a, a reminder of who God is to her, was to her in that moment. And then we also see another first in this this short little part of chapter 16, um, Hagar gives God a name. And so this is the first time that happens in the text. And Hagar calls him El Roi, which means God sees. And, um, and she's just overwhelmed by the fact that God has seen her in her despair, but also in the place that she, she was in the wilderness. She was in a desolate place. She was, in, she was in the desert place. And she was like, why would God come here? Why would I see God here in this place? And, um, and so, we see, so we see God comes close, God hears, and God sees like we, that's what we learn about God in this short little passage that's really easy to just jump over. And Hagar's not even like the main character, like we said. And she's not, she's, she's Egyptian, actually. And so she's not even necessarily part of this family that God is forming. And yet God is so gracious and kind to reveal so much of himself to Hagar. I, I think it is just a beautiful portion of scripture. I, I love this too. And I'm so glad that you were able to share this because the God who sees, I think is such an important thing for us to keep in mind Absolutely. at this point in the story. And as we go forward, because God sees Hagar, this forgotten, marginalized, abused woman. Mm-hmm. And we need to take that for us as well. He yeah. sees us in all of the forgotten and marginalized and abused places of our lives. Mm-hmm. And he is not just there for the heroes of the Bible. He's here for, as you said, the secondary characters. And I think that it was so important not to skip over and say, I don't quite understand this. Mm-hmm. This is important. Mm-hmm. God found Hagar there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just stumbled upon her. He went purposefully and yes. found her there and he saw her. Mm-hmm. So important, just strong verbs there that we're using. And, uh, and this really sets us up for chapter 17. Yes. And we get another incredible um, side of God's uh, personality, who he is, mm-hmm. his names, his characteristics. Mm-hmm. Because we, we're seeing now that he's the omniscient God. He's all-knowing. And then we move into chapter 17, and we learn another name, which is El Shaddai, mm-hmm. our almighty God. And yes. that, that root word emphasizes his might. So not only is he omniscient, he's omnipotent, meaning all powerful and he's powerful beyond what we can imagine beyond what abraham or abram at mm-hmm. this point can imagine um he wills something and it's done let there be light and there was light yes. and here we see this again the same god who has promised a son not ishmael mm-hmm. a promised son it will happen mm-hmm. yeah god calls himself el shaddai that you know he this is who i am one, I don't remember, I think it was like in a footnote in one of my Bibles, and I don't remember which one, um, but it said that El Shaddai, another way to say it is like, he's a God who has his hands in everything, mm-hmm. like all the all the pieces, like that, that's what God is declaring about himself, like, hey, I'm in this too, you know, um, I think that's, that's a, a cool way to think of it. Which is important in this story where 
Abram and Sarai have kind of gone their own way mm-hmm. to fulfill the promise, not necessarily from evil intention. They they think they are doing what God needs. They're yep. misunderstanding mm-hmm. the wording of the mm-hmm. promise. So, but God is saying, I have my hands in this too. Yeah. I'm going to take this mess and I'm going to make something of it too, mm-hmm. which we'll see. Yeah. So when we start chapter 17, it's 13 years later. We see that because we're told the age of um, Abram. So Hagar goes back. Hagar has a son. It says that Abram names him Ishmael. So I don't know if God also talked to Abram and told him that or if Hagar was like, hey, his name needs to be Ishmael. But I feel like Hagar really wouldn't have a say. Um, And so maybe it was like God was like it was like a prophecy that, hey, this is going to happen. His name is going to be Ishmael. I don't know. Um, I just think that's an interesting little detail. But then we see 13 years later. um, and, And so if you like stop and you think this is another point where we have to remember we know the story. Abram does not. So Slow he, down when you're reading right, it, first He of does all. not know the story. We know it. We know that Hagar was a mistake. We know that Ishmael isn't the promised son. But for 13 years, Abram, and we have to assume Sarai, have been living with the assumption that Ishmael is the promised son because it is, it is Abram's son, like physical son. And so for 13 years, Abram has been loving Ishmael, lo- uh, looking at Ishmael as this promised son, thinking God has been faithful. And it is in chapter 17 where we discover, oh, this is not the son. This is where God tells he meets Abram again and reiterates the covenant. And then he specifies it again and says, your son will come from Sarai. So Abram has to have that moment of like, but uh... what about Ishmael? Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, have one. <laughs> I, I messed that one up. Yeah. But the good news for all of us, but particularly Ashley and, and I, um, it's no longer Abram. We get yes. to say Abraham from yes. here on out. This <laughs> yes. is the moment where the name change happens. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a big deal. Yes. And, and this time your name meant something. It was about your, your character or your experience. And whenever you see a name change in the Bible or a name, it's important to look that up and see why, because mm-hmm. it's explaining something about the story. So Abram meant exalted father, mm-hmm. which was great. Mm-hmm. But now Abraham means the father of many, mm-hmm. because it's not just the child of the promise anymore, Isaac. There's also Ishmael. Mm-hmm. So there are he is the father of many now, mm-hmm. not just the father of one. He mm-hmm. is the father of many because he will have many, many descendants. And I think it's important for us to see at this point in the story that the covenant expands and his name changes. Mm-hmm. It means something more than what you might have thought. Exactly. I also read that Abram, when when father shows up like in names, like it does for Abram, the exalted father, it means like an ancestor. So like it's almost in honor of, we're going to name you Abram, in honor of this exalted father, whether it was his father or an ancestor behind. Um, but then for for God to change his name to Abraham and call him the, the father of multitudes or whatever exactly it is, it is rather than looking back, now it's looking forward. So good. And so, you know, now he's, he, God has changed his name and given him a vision and something to look toward to. I think that's pretty cool. Which is important as well with Ishmael. He, he can't look back. He has to look forward. Yeah. 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 So we have this covenant and then we have this sign of the covenant mm-hmm. that we need to talk about because it is really, really important. Um, but I'll also mention Sarai. Her, her name gets changed as well. Her yes. name gets changed to Sarah. And they both mean princess. Mm-hmm. But I was saying when I, I studied this, um, one was in the Ur dialect, which is where they came from. And one is in Canaan's dialect, which is where they 
are going, which mm -hmm. is where they are. So again, it's that it's idea of past and future. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're not who you used to be. You're not the princess of Ur anymore. You're the princess of this new land. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, an important distinction. Mm -hmm. And um, Sarah's way easier to say for us. Oh my gosh, Sarah. I, yeah, <laughs> we're just struggling with that one. So now we've got Abraham and Sarah. We're thrilled. We can say that from now mm -hmm. on. But I think we should talk some more about the covenant. It's very important. I mean, it this part of the covenant and circumcision is what we're talking about. The sign of the covenant is something that sets apart God's people from this point forward throughout the entire Bible. Um, this is um, the last time we talked about covenant was with the rainbow and Noah. And um, God took the sign like he kind of he's like, I'm going to take care of the sign. I'm going to be the one that kind of holds that for you when normally it would be the lesser party would have to take the they would be the ones responsible to hold the sign and then also with the animal that was split and the blood mm -hmm. and god went through it whereas yes. it should have been abram right yeah. yeah and so but here now god is like giving i don't know i don't know if he's inviting them more into it or it's there's there's more responsibility there's now a, a requirement more requirements well. yeah mm -hmm. and so now abram abraham and all the men <laughs> here on out are going to hold the sign of the covenant they are going to have to be circumcised and now they have to shed blood too yes there's blood involved in sacrifice and yes. this is a shedding of blood with the removal of the foreskin and it's it's a way of marking the body mm -hmm. with a physical submission mm -hmm. the part of the body that produces the child we shall say is now marked by god so yeah. this will be god's child it will be god's way it's like a seal on a document. Mm -hmm. Okay, Abraham, no more misunderstanding what I'm saying to you. This is it, and this is it going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ishmael was born before circumcision. Isaac will be born after. Like, that's a pretty big differentiation, I think. I think so, too. It's, it's that sign of the covenant for what was used for evil before, mm -hmm. oppressing Hagar, using her body is now being used as a sign, marking it with the promise for Sarah mm -hmm. and Isaac. And I also think it's important in verse 8, this is now an everlasting possession, an unending promise mm -hmm. that's not dependent on their behavior. And this is going to be comforting to the exiles reading or hearing this. We've yes. been talking about that this is being read later in their history, and they are not in their homeland anymore. Mm -hmm. They are longing for this thing that Abraham is, is going to possess. And... God is reminding them of this promise. This is not dependent on your behavior. This is mine that I am giving to you, and this is a sign mm -hmm. of what I am giving you. Mm -hmm. Something that you're going to live with. You're going to walk the rest of your life with. That's right. And the story of Abraham is, is the story of all of us, right? He he believed in the substance of God's promise, but he doubted the details. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we look at our life, we, we believe the big picture of what God is telling us, but the details is where we can get in mm -hmm. trouble. And it's that's the little really, things. Yeah, that's where Abraham and Sarah are. And so, listen, you know, Abraham is still like, wait, what about what about Ishmael? <laughs> <laughs> I he, wish that he that you would bless him, mm -hmm. and you know, yes, which good good on him. He's he's Ishmael's father. He should feel that way. He should. And God is faithful to Ishmael. Mm -hmm. He was with Hagar at the mm -hmm. story we talked about earlier. He is as well with Ishmael. He will be. He will be a great nation. It tells us much later he ends up having 12 sons. Mm -hmm. That reminds us of a little mm -hmm. someone else involved with the promise. There is a promise for Ishmael. He will be a great nation as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about the covenant and the sign of the covenant. And now we're going to move on to chapter 18 where there is another 
um, example of a theophany, Mm -hmm. another example of God visiting with Abraham. And this is important as well. This is, this is important for us to go over the story because there are a lot of beats here. Mm -hmm. And, and Abraham um, practices some typical Bedouin hospitality. I mean, it's very important to them being hospitable. So he invites these three men. There's, we find out later, it looks like the Lord Mm -hmm. and two angels. At Mm -hmm. this point, he just thinks it's three men that he's inviting into his tent. And we can see that Sarah is there, but she's not present in the tent. It wouldn't have been culturally appropriate for her to be there. So we basically know that she's eavesdropping. And I I kind of love this detail because (laughs) it just makes her even more human. Um, How many times have we been not a part of something but eavesdropping? I want to know what's going on. Yeah, eavesdropping, (laughs) listening in. It's sort of a kid thing is sort of what I think too. But um, So I think it's important to know that part of the story because when Sarah laughs – it's not as though she's present there in this moment with Abraham and the angels and the Lord. She is outside laughing. So when uh, the Lord says, uh, why did Sarah laugh? That's why she gets so startled by this. She gets so afraid because she w- didn't laugh in front of him. So she's thinking, how does this man know what I've done? Mm-hmm. I, I, I was saying it's sort of like the, the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. And she's thinking, how does, who is this man who knows everything I've ever done? It's sort of the same moment for mm-hmm. Sarah. And she gets very afraid because originally she just thinks this man has said, oh, you're going to have this son. It's the kind of renewing of the promise to have a son. And she's thinking he's just being culturally appropriate because mm-hmm. that was a big thing in this culture. Everyone wants to have children. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. And so she thinks, oh, he doesn't know how old I am. <laughs> Little does he know. There's no way I can have children. And then when he brings that up, she gets afraid because she thinks, how does he even know that I said this? And I just love that part of of the Lord being kind to Sarah in this moment and reaching out to her in this this moment of unbelief and instilling her with some faith. Mm -hmm. And he's really kind about it too. Very gracious. Not like, why do you doubt me? You know, like he, he, the way that he addressed her and handled her in this situation was very, was very kind. It, and I think that's another clue as to who this is. It's not just a messenger. It's not just an angel. It is the Lord because mm-hmm. he deals with us in such gentleness and goodness and kindness mm-hmm. and faithfulness. He has all those aspects of him in this moment with Sarah. Mm-hmm. So here he is, the Lord, telling, you know, Abram, Abraham, and Sarah's overhearing it. And he actually he gets kind of specific with the timing of it this time next year. You will have a son. It's about it's about son, time, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not just it's going to happen, but this time next year, like that is he's like he's bringing it in, and I'm sure for Sarah, like hearing that, she's like, oh, if you only know how long we've been trying, you know, like this time next year, that makes it a lot more real. So at this point, the three men are ready to move on. So Abraham is walking with them. And it turns out he ends up just walking with the Lord and the two angels move on. Mm -hmm. We find out later they're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. So we'll pick up that story in a minute. But I love how the Lord and Abraham are walking along. And it's like God is having this conversation with himself that Mm -hmm. Abraham is overhearing. It's kind of an interesting moment. Mm -hmm. But I love this part of scripture. It's this sort of um, this this 
Abraham's receiving this advanced knowledge of what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's thinking of his relative Lot, who is there, Mm -hmm. and he is having this moment with the Lord that is so special. It Mm -hmm. is such a personal moment between the two of them. I think it's something to really highlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is typically where people will say um, this is an example of intercession of like Abram, Abraham. Why am I having a hard time say, saying Abraham now? <laughs> Abraham is interceding on behalf of Lot or anybody else that might be righteous in Sodom um, and asking like God save them, you know. And um, it's a we come we come to the story often to give that as an example. And and it's interesting to see like God doesn't necessarily play like the way. Abraham would want him to like Abraham thinks okay this is going to be a bartering situation how about if there's 50 and God's like okay okay well what about you know okay that's fine and he's not a tough negotiator he's not no, no. and Abraham was the one that stops it at 10 like I, I don't know would would God have gone down to just one we don't know because yeah. it stops Abraham stops at 10 and um and then as we get into the story of Sodom we're going to see a lot of similarities between um Sodom and the time of Noah and how bad it was. And remember, during Noah's time, there was one righteous man, and that was Noah. And so if we kind of think about that with Abraham now, there's really, we don't know about Lot. We don't know what kind of character he is. We know the decisions that he's made before. And we can see some decisions later that lead us to believe he may not be the righteous one right, we're looking for. Right. But if you if we think about there's one righteous man in the time of Noah, and we know because in just a few chapters ago, God called Abraham righteous because of his faith, because of because he believed. So now Abraham maybe maybe he's the only righteous one, but he's standing back on a hill, now interceding with God pleading with God, like save those who are maybe not righteous. Um, And we kind of, I just wonder if this is also like a shadow of Jesus. Jesus was the one righteous man on a hill on a cross, you know, before God. And um, I just think that this is, this is a very interesting picture of the character of Abraham, of his righteousness, and, and then also contrasted against the character of Maybe Lot, but definitely Sodom and Gomorrah and everything that was happening down there. And the, and the language used in verses 20 and 21 is a callback to Cain and Abel when it talks about the great outcry. Yes. That's the callback to the story of Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. And then where it says in verse 21, I'm going down to sea, that is a callback to, to Babel, Babylon. Yeah. And so God is bringing these stories, the Cain and Abel story, the Babel story, the flood story, as you mentioned, Ashley, and he's saying... Sodom and Gomorrah is as bad as these three things combined. So what he is giving us a clue to is this is a really bad point in history. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of sin going on here. We have a lot of problems in this area, and I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. And, and you know, God had made the promise with Noah, I will never again destroy the whole earth. So that's not that's not at play here. That's not on the table. No water involved. No, yeah. And so it's going to be a localized judging, a localized, you know, thing that's going to happen, but God is still just. And so he does he has to he has to justify what is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. He has to make it right. And I think it's helpful for us to realize this too because we read the story and we're like, this is this is bad. This is really bad, but it gives us a little bit more context. So 
we're going to move on to chapter 19. Um, the, the Lord and Abram, we leave them, and we move to the Sodom and Gomorrah area, and it says that the two angels were there. So they have left Abraham's presence. They are now in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see Lot practicing the same hospitality where he provides for and he protects. And it's contrasted with the men of the city here who are not practicing this hospitality. They should have as well. They should have been hospitable, but instead they aren't. And it's our first clue that something is not quite right in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. And this is where those little ears might want to... uh... Depart from the conversation. This, it's from here on out. It gets a little interesting. This is where the story is like, what is happening? Yeah, and there aren't even ten righteous that no. Abraham had pleaded for. This is not where it is, and it gets really interesting. Mm-hmm. And there is some sexual sin that's happening. They're trying to abuse these two angels. They just think they're two men who visited the city, mm-hmm. and the men are wanting to to have sex with them. And mm-hmm. and it gets really violent and really dangerous. Weird. It gets weird. And then this part, it gets weird because Lot offers his two daughters Mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. And we get really uncomfortable with this story, and we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Don't think that the Bible is holding this up as a standard. Mm -mm. There are things like polygamy where it it happened, but obviously every time someone practices polygamy in this story, it goes very, very wrong. This is the same example. This is not held up as how it should be. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be horrified by this, by this and recognize that Lot's sense of good and evil has been distorted. And there is a lot of sexual sin here, and it is not meant to be held up as a, as a good thing. And we also have to keep in mind that Lot was bound by a higher obligation to care for these guests that are in his home than to protect his own daughters. And that bothers us, and Mm -hmm. we don't like that. There's a part of it that's cultural that we have to understand, and there's another part where we recognize we're supposed to be horrified. Mm -hmm. I think even the original audience is supposed to be horrified by this. Mm -hmm. I think that um, it just is a terrible, it is a terrible situation. And we're not supposed to, like, just read over and be like, hmm. And we have to remember that this is descriptive, and so this is describing what has happened and it's not we don't see god saying and this was good you know what i mean like we don't get god's opinion on this don't read that into it don't read that because it's in the bible it is he's holy or whatever right like we see that in the book of judges a lot um it was a lot of things similar to this where it's just like oh and we just have to remember this is not god is not okaying this because it's in his word And it's obvious because then he ends up destroying the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Lot and his family are rescued, as many of them who are willing to go. They Mm -hmm. are rescued. They're literally pulled along by the angels. Mm -hmm. They are not really wanting to go. They are sad to leave all their possessions behind, maybe other family members and friends. But the angels literally pull them out of there. Lot's wife doesn't obey fully she -hmm. turns back and she's turned into a pillar of salt Mm -hmm. and luke 17 32 warns us about her don't don't be like lot's wife and a lot originally at least he didn't turn around but he didn't really want to leave they were tied to their earthly possessions and she is an earthly um eternal monument of what not to do yeah gosh it's it's not great so just like the flood destroyed the wicked, we see this pattern repeated, mm-hmm. as you said, in a localized way, but it's fire, mm-hmm. not water, destroying the region, mm-hmm. which is now probably under the Dead Sea, if you think of a really yeah. salty area. That's that's where it most likely, mm-hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah, is underneath the Dead Sea at that point. But we have a few 
righteous ones who have been rescued again, like the Noah story. They have they on the the ark of the angels, essentially. That's sort of the same idea. They are pulled out, and Lot's family is being saved thanks to Abraham, mm-hmm. and they are righteous, like we are righteous, thanks to Jesus' sacrifice, not because of our own righteousness because of what Jesus did mm-hmm. for us. Not we because are. of anything that they did. So not because of anything. They were not righteous enough to save the city. Mm-hmm. His family of probably about 10, maybe that was the 10 that was in Abraham's mind. We don't know. Mm-hmm. They were not righteous. It was thanks to Abraham's intercession that they were saved. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes downhill from there. It Very just, similar to the worse. story of Noah. You know, like this is a decreation, recreation kind of moment. And it, then... Now, but now it's Lot and his daughters rather than Noah and his sons and more weird stuff happens. And it just, it is the pattern of humanity. It is. And unfortunately, we, we see that, that God doesn't like the sinful behavior. You see in Deuteronomy 27, incest is prohibited and mm-hmm. yet they don't see any other way to have a child. And as we said before, children are important. Mm-hmm. But here they go their own way and they end up having these children, Moab, which means through our father, Ben Ami, means th- son of my kin. <laughs> Even the names, kind of rough. But these are two people groups that are going to plague the Israelites. They're they going to be reading the story and recognizing, oh, the Moabites and the Ammonites. You've read about them. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that are plaguing the Israelites, and they are not great people. (laughs) They practice um, infant sacrifice. They practice child sacrifice, and they are influencing the Israelites in bad ways. Mm -hmm. So this is the start of something not good. Mm -hmm. We see this over and over. But I do think it would be important, um, you know, this this Moses and the writers included this in the story because the original readers like you said would know who these people are but then for them to be like oh they're they're they are actually connected to abraham uh you know and so in some roundabout way like we're all connected and i think this is like an early foundational um thing setting up the foundation of what what we learn in the new testament through paul and jesus that god actually wants to unite all the people, make all the people that are going to believe in him, that have faith in him, to be the people of God, not just the the Israelite nation, the people of um, Israel, but all people, even even the ones who have done terrible things. There's there's redemption. Yes. And Abraham is meant to bring blessing to all the nations. Mm -hmm. And we will see that one day we're still waiting on that <laughs> we have part of it i mean we yeah. are we're included in that abraham yes. is our spiritual father and so Finally. he you know and jesus was born through his line and jesus is the blessing for all people all nations everywhere now we're waiting for the day when it is all fulfilled uh, yep so we like the israelites are waiting for the promise but we, we're going a little long, but we're going to breeze over a little bit of chapter 20 because there are a couple things we wanted to, to mention there that we think are important to set up next week. But this is right before the child of the promise is going to be conceived and Abraham nearly messes everything up again. Mm-hmm. He is in a situation where he calls Sarah, his sister, again, again. and she ends up with another king because she's so gorgeous. What are you going to do? But here is the the vehicle, I hate to call Sarah a vehicle, but you understand what I'm saying here, the vehicle to fulfill the promise. Sarah's womb is now in danger because she is with another man. And fortunately, Abimelech is sensitive enough that he doesn't uh, end up messing up. He uh, He's visited in a dream 
and God brings a blessing to him for being honest and honorable. Mm-hmm. So it works out okay, but Abraham nearly messes it up right at the end here. Mm-hmm. Right? And how many times have we had a promise that is nearly fulfilled and we almost give up? Yeah. It just is one of those moments where it's like you hit your head and you're just like, Abraham, come on, man. One, you've already done this, and it didn't end it's well. It's never working. Right. Like, what are we? What are we thinking? I mean, side note, that's how Hagar came to be part of the family when they were in Egypt and they were given a lot of gifts. And it created a mess. Hello, Abraham. <laughs> catch on. But the good news is, next week we get to talk about the promised son. Yay! Woo-hoo. So, should we stop and talk about him and me? Yes. I think so. Let's do it. So in this portion of the Hemi, we, we've talked about it in previous segments, and so it's in the show notes if you want a little more information, but we've talked a lot about the hymn, and now we're going to kind of go into the me and we portion of this. And so for me this week, something that I've been thinking a lot about is the concept of faith and obedience and how they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other in, in the perfect way that God would hope and expect for us and I think you see that in a couple of instances here but first in the story of Sarah and Hagar you see a semi-faith for Sarah and Abram where they have heard God's promise but they're going to take matters into their own hands like how is God going to fulfill this we'll figure this out ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, and then again with Lot and his family you see a semblance of obedience as they're leaving but the faith of is what God has for us better than what we're coming from. You see Lot's wife turn around and she becomes a pillar of salt. And as Pastor Mary mentioned earlier, like that is something that Jesus refers back to mm-hmm. in his teaching. It's one of the only things that he calls people to remember. And um, and so then for us, like what does that look like for us to have faith that God can do and will do the things that we feel like he's promised us and then our part as well what does it look like for us to be obedient in seeking the calling he has for us seeking healing through doctors that he's empowered to um heal us you know and so I think sometimes if we lean too much on one or the other like if we have all this faith but God doesn't do it then it's on God not we didn't have any part of it. And so anyway, so that's something that I've been thinking a lot through of what does it look like to have faith that God is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And I also have a part to play in continuing his story. And I think that is true for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to walk it out. Um, Well, for me, I was kind of thinking of um, Genesis 17 when, you know, Abraham and Sarah kind of, you know, like what you, you were just, you know, they had, they, they believed God, but they kind of concocted their own plan and they had Ishmael and 13 years of, you know, thinking this, the plan, the thing that we, we came up with was right. Thinking that this was what God had for us. And then Abraham learns, oh wait, it's, oh, it's not like, it wasn't going to be the way that we thought it was going to be. Um, and, and so Abraham, Abraham had to come to a place where he was willing to let go of the plan that, that he had. I mean, he was working on 13 years of like, this is it. This is the promise where we're living it. Um, and so for me, it's like, I just, I know that there have been times in my life where I've stepped out and kind of thought maybe I was following God and kind of made my own way. 
um, whether I did it on purpose or out just being naive. Um, and there were times when I had to recognize that and and either make an adjustment or not. And and so that's what Abraham was faced with. And so for for me in my life or for all of us, it's you know it's just being humble, wanting to have that humility, being humble to um, acknowledge. Okay, well that was wrong. And it might be weird and it might be awkward and it might be really hard, but now I have to make some changes and I have to figure out, I got to know what God's plan is, um, not my plan. And then for the we part of that, I just have to understand that that is true for all of us. And so we can, we can really quickly judge other people based on what they do and how could they think that that's right or um, that that's what God would want for their life. Like who... Who am I to decide that? I'm not their plan maker. I'm I'm not the one that can tell them what to do or what not to do. There are situations, sure, where I can um, maybe advise if somebody asks me, um, but I'm not God. And and just having that grace and and the great yeah the grace for other people, just realizing that we're all on the same trajectory of trying to walk forward with faith and obedience, like you said, Sharisa. Um, and we're all we're all in this together. And we I think I hope if we're Christians and those of us listening to this podcast, I hope that we can all say ultimately we want to follow God's plan. Um, and so that should that should hopefully unite us as well. That's really good. Well, I guess to wrap it up, I was thinking about um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how at different points in the Bible, we've talked about how it, it can seem like if you're looking just from faith, face value, um, that God is mean. And whether it's the story of the people, you know, dying in the flood or even Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden or just mm-hmm. the Tower of Babel and all, all these things are, were these sort of sin points. And God has a, a reaction to that. And it, we can look at it face value and think, oh, why is God so mean? But if you back it up and you look at this moment with Abraham and how kind God is, as mm-hmm. you said, this bargaining that isn't really a bargaining. God just keeps saying, OK, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I almost imagine that if Abraham had said, for me, God, would you save the city for me? God would have said yes. It just seems in that moment. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it seems in that moment that God will do anything for his covenant partner. Mm-hmm. And we are his covenant partners. So I'm jumping ahead to we. But as far as the me portion of that, just really keeping in mind that I need to go into prayer, into this intercession moment like Abraham with the knowledge that he is good and that he wants to answer my prayers. Not that he is mean and withholding. And then the we portion is the same, knowing that he is good and he's not mean if prayers aren't being answered in my timetable like Sarah and Abraham. He has a plan and he has a time schedule, but he wants what is good. Mm-hmm. And I love that part of, of what is a very difficult story, seeing the good side of that. Yeah. Well, I think it's been a great week. Same. We conquered a lot. <laughs> and we hope that you have a great week with it as well. Yes. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope this conversation revealed something new to you about God and or yourself. We'll be back next week as we discuss the next five chapters. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have by emailing us at citywomen at citychurchok.com or click the link in our show notes. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at citywomenok.com.